So looking at the Gospel of Mark, um, I, I just want to set some context here. We're in the part of Mark's Gospel where Jesus' ministry is shifting direction. He's winding down ministry in Galilee, and he's beginning to turn toward Jerusalem where he will suffer and die. Um, the disciples and others have come to know him as Messiah, but crucial to that understanding is Jesus' message that as the Messiah, he must suffer and he must die and be raised back to life. Obviously, that's a tough idea to grasp. Um, Jesus telling, him, telling them that he, the Messiah, the Savior of their people, must suffer and die uh, just wouldn't compute. So before he gives them this message, he needs to prepare them to receive it. And part of this preparation is commanding them to do two things. The first thing is, is that he wants them to open their ears. And the second thing is to open their eyes. Now, just a small note on that. In Mark's gospel, um, he really brings the whole gospel to a climactic point where standing before the crucified Christ, the Roman centurion, looks at him, hears what Jesus says, and he says, um, truly this man was the son of God. The centurion saw and believed. And then almost in, in a quick downturn, uh, after Mary, uh, is in, Mary Magdalene encounters Jesus and goes back to the disciples, and she speaks these words that he has risen the disciples heard and did not believe. So there's just this powerful sort of thematic, you know, seeing and believing and hearing and believing that Mark is pushing forward to us. And now part of what I love about Mark's gospel is that he often takes these words and events of Jesus' life and organizes them in a way that conveys a message. And, and here's kind of what I mean, just to explain that and lay that out a little bit. We have back before our passage this morning in verse uh, 14, Jesus says, hear me, all of you, and understand. And then that's followed by what we heard read this morning. That's followed by him literally healing a man with hearing loss. Then in, verse, uh, then in chapter 8, verse 14, Jesus says, watch, see, open your eyes. And then that's followed by literally healing a man who was blind, right? So we, we kind of see Mark weaving this together. Sandwiched between those two healings um, of hearing and seeing is this massive miracle of provision. It's Jesus feeding 4,000 people with just a bit of bread and a bit of fish. And following that, uh, these Pharisees come along. And they make this audacious demand for Jesus to perform another miracle just for them to prove his validity. Now, interestingly, Mark uses the same word here in saying that the Pharisees came to test Jesus, that he also uses to talk about what Satan did with Jesus in the wilderness. He came to test Jesus, same word there. So taking all of that into account, what I believe that Mark is highlighting is just how easy it is, like these Pharisees, to close our eyes and to close our ears to the reality of God's presence and our salvation through him. And all the religious knowledge and training and experience in the world like these Pharisees had means nothing 
if we continue to close off parts of our lives from God. So this morning, I just want to take a closer look at, at the gospel uh, passage that we heard read where he heals the, the deaf and the mute man. If you have your Bibles with you, open up to chapter 7, verse 33. It says that Jesus pulls him aside, physically touches the man's ears, and, uh, and then touches his tongue. He spits and then touches the man's tongue. Now, just to explain that, because I know it, it may sound kind of strange, um, even though saliva would have been considered unclean, as most other bodily fluids to Jewish thought, it would have been considered unclean. There, there were uh, some Jewish thought that saliva actually had healing powers when it came from certain anointed people. So this wasn't all that strange. It's another instance of Jesus kind of taking matter and, and anointing it and blessing it because matter matters, right? And so uh, he uses this thing, this understood that, uh, that saliva might have healing powers from certain anointed people. If that still kind of weirds you out, remember that we celebrate over and we remember another bodily fluid of Jesus every, every week. But back to this man, I wonder if you realize how intimate of an experience this, this might have been for this deaf man. A man who had, through some sort of life circumstances, not only lost the ability to hear, but also the ability to speak. In other words, his ability to communicate with another human being was severely limited. And so Jesus communicates to him in a way that perhaps he had rarely experienced before, but in a way that, that I think he might readily understand. Jesus touches him. He takes him aside, away from what might have been kind of a, dist a visually distracting crowd of people, and he places his hands on his disability. And without any words, in doing that, Jesus communicates, I see you, I know you. I understand. I want to help. And then Mark says that Jesus looks up to heaven and he sighs. And that, that word sigh in Greek is the word stenazo. It's, it's the same word that we see used by Paul in Romans chapter 8, where he says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Spirit prays for us with stenazo with sighs and groanings that cannot be expressed in words. So with a man who has this impaired um, communicative ability, Jesus communicates for him in the language of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? In the perfect language shared in the community of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's good to know that we don't have to be perfect or we don't have to have our lives together, isn't it? That even in our greatest limitations, God can still do something good for us and with us and through us. I remember when um, each of my children were maybe around two, two-ish, um, and we were working on teaching them to use uh, napkins um, because by the end of the meal, they would just be covered from head to toe in food. It's amazing that they gained any weight at all, right? Because the food ended up everywhere else. And so before getting them up from the table, we would give them their napkin. 
and they would take the napkins and just, and here's what they would do. They take it, just ball it up like this, and then throw it on the floor, because that, that's what they just thought you did. They just balled it up like a piece of paper, and that was their ideal clean. In their little two-year-old minds, they didn't need any more than that, and they were good to go. But Lynn and I, of course, had a different ideal. And so we took a, a wet paper towel, and you parents know the drill, right? We took a wet paper towel, and we got food out of their hair and out of their nose sometimes and, like, the cute little folds of, you know, skin and under their shirt. And sometimes it was just like, we're going straight to the tub, right? And, you know, we knew exactly how clean they needed to be before getting up from the table and running around the house. And because we loved them, we still love them, and because we loved the paint on our walls, uh, we chose to clean them up in a way that they couldn't clean themselves. And God has done something similar for us, where we're totally incapable of making ourselves clean, where our ideal clean even looks nothing like his. He, out of his perfect love, cleans us up because only he can give us what we need. He lovingly and graciously releases our captive ears and captive eyes. And where we thought we were hearing well before, where we thought that we were seeing well before, he does this new and good work of releasing us to hear and see what's true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise, but that only happens through Jesus. In verse 37, when the people saw what Jesus had done, they said, he does all things well. And in, in the original language, that, that word well is actually more forceful than that. It's not just that he does all things well. He does, well means at the highest standard of excellence. Jesus does all things to the highest standard of excellence. He, he doesn't just specialize in hearing loss. He restores hearing loss. He changes water into wine. He casts out evil spirits. He multiplies fish and bread to feed thousands. He calms stormy seas. He heals withered hands. He walks on water, non-surgically reattaches body parts, restores sight to the blind. He calls men forth from the tombs forgives sins, replaces our hearts of stone for hearts of flesh. You know, James, you heard this morning um, read from James, every good and perfect gift is from above. And because God is perfect, he gives perfect things. And because God is loving and gracious, he chooses to give those perfect things to imperfect people. That's who Jesus is. In our messiness, in our inability and darkest parts of us, he is loving enough to want to do something about it. He's powerful enough to do it, and he's wise enough to know how. And grace means that we don't have to be any of those things in order for him to do it. In the, the book, The Magician's Nephew, there's this character named Uncle Andrew who symbolizes kind of the worst of what people can be and do. He's cunning, he's power-hungry, he's selfish, he's just a cruel man. But at one point in the story, Uncle Andrew stands before the Messiah figure, uh, which is Aslan, the lion. 
and uh, he's standing before Aslan, and he's just petrified. He's, he's absolutely terrified, physically unable to move from where he stands because all he understands is what he's seeing. He's standing before this enormous and powerful lion with huge paws and sharp teeth. And it's in this moment that this other character kind of off, off stage kind of graciously steps in and says, you know, please, Aslan, could you say something to unfrighten him? And listen to what Aslan says. I cannot tell that to this old sinner, and I cannot comfort him either. He has made himself unable to hear my voice. If I spoke to him, he would only hear growling and roarings. Oh, Adam's sons, how cleverly you defend yourselves against all that might do you good. It can be terrifying to stand before God knowing all of the dark spaces in our lives. But the truth, the, the promise, the good news is that Jesus breaks the chains of sin and darkness. It's like we sang in Psalm 146. He sets the prisoner free. He opens the eyes of the blind. He opens our ears to hear the truth that he will not shame or condemn or destroy us, but he will sigh over us with the language of the Spirit, and he will open us up, open our eyes and ears and our hearts to know him as good, to know him as Lord and King and Savior. But are you willing to let him do that work in your life? You know, sometimes in my frustration and fear and worry, I find myself asking God to speak louder what he's actually doing is inviting me to come closer so that he can put his hands on my ears and release me to hear the truth. Maybe he's asking the same of you today. Let him take you aside. Let him into those areas of brokenness and see if he won't do a good and healing work for you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.